So we're going to um, not walk through this lesson. We're going to fly through this lesson. So we're going to have to... My computer's like, that was painful. All right. Uh, I want to wrap up some, some questions about the conscience. We're not going to be able to dig in the weeds of everything. Maybe it'll, it'll prompt you to do some, some extra reading and research on the issue, but um, the original desire was understanding in the existing context of what churches are debating and what they're struggling with, how you handle these different issues that are facing the church, social agenda issues, uh, government mandate issues, and, and how we've responded to it. And we have done, as a church here, the best of our ability to, to navigate these waters. There's no perfect answer. There's no right answer in some of these things. It is what best how we determine we want to lead the church and do so, of course, in a way that is honoring to the Lord, true to the word. And so we're going to share a few thoughts on that and try to wrap up some of our thoughts about, about knowledge. Now, knowledge is not knowledge conscious. I'm thinking knowledge because it's, uh, the, word, the word conscious is um, with knowledge. So we talked about um, last couple weeks, talking about the conscious principles, how it's blessing, it's personal, it's intended the, the beauty of, of conscious, and part of the desire for me in the beginning was understanding how can we have different areas of sensitivities and yet still claim the same truth. How can believers have different areas of conscious? And conscious is, are going to be issues that, are, that you're going to be passionate about, that you're going to be uh, believing this is right and this is wrong. It's not just, well, that's my preference. No, conscious issues inevitably carry with them the idea of what is right and wrong. So you're going to be be passionate about it. They're not going to be just things that don't stir up emotions. Um, We talked about some of the biblical usage. We didn't really go through this. We just kind of mentioned the different passages, being a weak conscious, uh, clear conscious, the different ways the the word conscious is used. It's not found in the Old Testament, but we find different ideas of that, but it's it's pretty much the word exclusively found in in the New Testament. How can one man's conscience be right and another be, be wrong? So I want to start here, and then I want to go to discussing what someone calls theological triage and how do we place these different issues. Are, is this a conscious issue? Is this a biblical issue? Is this a right or wrong issue? And how do we navigate some of those questions and try to do so uh, this morning? So I want to kind of, in, in four different areas, discuss what makes one conscious right and the one man's be wrong? And in reality, when we talk about conscious issues, there are four areas that I wrote down that, I, that make our differences in these conscious areas healthy and helpful. I put down the first area. so every believer is in a different phase of his sanctified life. You think, go back to 1 Corinthians 12, and talk about the different giftings in the church. We didn't read those passages, but he talks about different giftings, about ministering in the church. One thing he says, he says, hey, even, even those that appear to be weaker are necessary and are needed in the church. So it wasn't just, you know, did they have weaker gifts? I mean, we're all being gifted by the Spirit. But in other words, we, in these areas of consciousness, even though there are areas that some people are, have a weaker conscience in one area, the Bible says that all are, if you would, man, it'd be helpful to go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and read that, but don't really have time to do that now. Uh, but the necessity of having this, this diversity within the body of Christ. For example, now every believer is in a different phase of his sanctified life. I would expect that someone who's been walking with the Lord for 40 years, 
versus someone who's been walking the Lord for two years are going to have different areas of conscience and going to have different uh, sensitivities in these areas based on, of course, experiences, based on what you've lived. And I know, I know that when you come through this, we want, we're so wired to conform to truth that we want everything to conform to truth, which is the right approach. However, when it comes to conscience issues, we want our own conscience issue to be justified biblically. So that it's not just right because it's right for me. It's right because it's submitted to the word. And the danger in that is when you take conscience issues, you try to, you, you try to put everything in this biblical mold, and we do so sometimes at the expense of the word, or we do sometimes uh, ignoring or making the word say something that it is not necessarily trying to say. So I'll put just four, let me just put these four areas. Four areas that, to me, help understand why we have different conscience issues and, and why... Uh, you might feel strongly about one, and I might feel strongly about another, and it's not that you're right and that I'm wrong, but in that diversity, in that complexity, God brings the beauty of the church together. I put one, every believer is a different phase of a sanctified life. Two, every believer brings different gifts and abilities and experiences to the table, which together build the body of Christ. That's why he describes in 1 Corinthians 12 the beauty of, of bringing these differences together. Imagine if we all had the exact same area of sensitivity. We all had the same conscious issues. I mean, we'd be, we'd be looking very alike. You know, in other words, you, and I talked to, I think I gave the example last time of going to a church where the church was very, it's a small a church of around 100, 120 people. They all felt very strongly about this one thing, and that church resembles that, which is why they had the beauty of elders. The beauty of the elders in the church is so that the church doesn't take the personality of one man. The church is not intended to take the personality of one leader. The church is designed to have elders who lead, and the church is designed to take the personality of Christ and be conformed to his image. So in the same way, having these differences, you know, when we have our staff meetings, we have our discussions, what should we do, not do, it's beautiful to see the response we get and the diversity we get is because one person is more sensitive to this area. One person is more in tune with this, and their conscience probes them and prompts them to respond. Another person says, well, that's not... I mean, they don't feel anything because they, they've taken a different course. They haven't had the same experiences. So experiences do shape how we uh, come to these uh, areas of sensitivity. With these social issues, there's no doubt that when you talk about social agenda, social justice type of issues, I'm using terms very broadly here, that Jane and I have talked about this. Uh, the other night when Jacob Haley were at the house, we're talking about some of these social issues. There's no doubt that Jane being raised in an African-American school in Norfolk, she was standing the other day, you know, she rode the bus to school, 45 kids, she was the only white girl on that bus. So, of course, you experience that social aspect differently. So she's a lot more sensitive because her best friend today, going back to high school days, I know it's Yvetta. She sees her on Facebook. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a connection there that, that's grown through her own experiences growing up in that environment, being sensitive to it, sensitive to the difficulties. Of course, someone else who, have, who has never been exposed to that, I'm not going to give any stereotypical example of the, you know, the North Dakota uh, cowboy who's never been outside the state. I mean, you know, I was just saying we're, we're going to bring these diversities together. I said North Dakota, thinking surely no one here is from North Dakota. So <laughs> that's, that's about the safest place I could think of. <laughs> I didn't say Northern Ireland. I stayed away from that. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we, we need to appreciate that God uses our conscience to, to as, a, as a body of Christ, be conformed to his image. But not one person is going to have, and that's why we read last week in 1 Corinthians 8, not one person is going to have, remember 1 Corinthians 8, the first three verses, he said we all have knowledge. 
but we all have different knowledge, and our knowledge is all incomplete, but together as a body of Christ, we complete ourselves with gifts, with understanding, and our conscious issues as, as well. So I put down every believer is given the opportunity to, for humility, preferring one another, dying to self, and every community of believer is different. The truth is the same, but how that truth is applied will vary from culture to culture. So we're not, we're not d- talking about um, applying different relativism in, in the areas of truth. But I keep on prefacing that because inevitably when you talk about conscious issues, they think they're things that we feel is right and wrong and true and, and not true. So it's going to hit those areas and how we respond to that. So um, nevertheless, there's a beauty in that diversity. And even in the area of conscious issues, there's a beauty in that we have different areas of conscious that we're sensitive to, that the Lord uses to prompt us, that the Holy Spirit uses to prompt us. And we need to understand those and appreciate those and appreciate that diversity conformed, of course, to truth, that we all have the same desire to conform our conscience to the truth of God's word, but not with, the, not with the illusion that somehow if you believe what I believe, you'd be more true and you'd be more conformed to truth. That's why 1 Corinthians uh, 8 addresses that in, in the beginning. So what should not fall in the realm of conscious issues? So one author is saying, one author talks about theological triage. What are areas that apply to the conscious issues? What areas do not? And, of course, that can, be, that can be tricky. There's no way we're going to be able to satisfy that question entirely, but I want to address it. The first area is what he calls, and I'm using some of his terms, uh, first-level issues. These first-level issues, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And this is the understanding that what we have received is a true revealed word of God. So when we talk about areas that are, don't fall under areas of conscience, I put down three things that uh, have to do with the, with the word of God. One, of course, we are, uh, and we, we talk about that here a lot, we are conformed to the word. The word is God's truth. We believe in the inherency of the word, which means there are no errors and mistakes. And it's amazing to see these three areas that seem that we're so ingrained, we're so, we're so taught to believe, you walk out of the biblical realm and you'll see these things challenged on every different level. We believe in the inherency of the word, we believe in the supremacy of the word, and we believe in the sufficiency of the word. Conscious issues uh, work first and foremost in the first level. These are not conscious issues that deal with the word. So the inherency of the word is, of course, the, the, the fact that the word is true, and you'll you'll find uh, you'll you'll find people's response to the word to be a certain form of relativism. Well, that that was Paul speaking. Well, that that applied to that, you know that well, he was dealing with a specific issue in that church. That's not what we're dealing with today. Uh, well, you know that was his opinion, but you know God does not the you know the details, but the bigger picture. In other words, when you start taking the word of God and you don't see it for what it is as the inherent word infallible word that you're called to fold to but you start taking the word you start bending the word to culture you start bending the word of god to your own feelings you start bending the word to your own experiences you will pervert the word so on this first tier level are is the word of god the supremacy of the word and the sufficiency of the word so what does sufficiency of the word means sufficiency of the word means that the Word of God is, is sufficient for our needs. We have in God's Word all we need to live righteous lives. It's not like, okay, so the Word of God is not, you know, that's not the reality we live in today. So here, here's, what, here's today's reality. Well, we're faced with these issues and these things. 
No, the, the Bible is, is sufficient for those needs. God supremely uh, inspired uh, and given us the word that is entirely sufficient for us today. So we need a, it doesn't mean that we don't have doctors. It doesn't mean that we don't have mechanics. It doesn't mean that we don't have uh, men who God's given skills and abilities. But we have to strongly believe in these three areas, and our conscience has to bend to these areas. Now, we may not have – we might have conscience issues that need to be changed, that need to be conformed. Maybe you don't have a conscious issue that you should have. Maybe you have one you shouldn't have. But the rule of thumb between those two is what? Is it, how does this conform to the Word? And so we're going to continually lift the Word of God as being inherent, uh, perfect, and complete, supreme, which means we fold to it. It's the, supreme, the supremacy of the Word. So I understand that people are going to trust the Word. You're going to have people that take issues and say, well, does the Bible really mean that? Well, that's what Satan did from the beginning in the garden. Did God really say this? So Satan's going to continue to use that tool today in social issues, in gender issues, in creation issues, in, in all these issues that we're going to face. Man continually says the same thing. Did the Bible really say that? So that's as old as Satan in the garden in response to God's truth. Our desire is how can I understand the truth and how can I submit to the truth and how can I bend my conscience to that truth and fold it and mold it to that truth. So people will try to undermine the inherency of the word. It's the word of man. It's not perfect. They'll try to undermine the supremacy of the word by saying it's by advancing relativism or contextualization or they'll undermine the sufficiency of the word by saying, well, we need human reasoning. We need observation. We need history. I read a lot of books on, on missions, and systematically you find authors who say, well, for us to understand what we should be doing in missions, we need to combine theology, experience, and anthropology, human reasoning and understanding. Well, he, he, he puts on an equal par. I understand that there's experiences. I understand these things play a part in what we do. But in, in one phrase, he puts on equal footing theology in the word with, well, what have we experienced in missions in the past 200 years? With what works in missions? Well, when you do that, you don't have the supremacy of the word that you try to, how to bend by this, and you let everything else fall under. You put everything out there on equal par. So it's very, it's a lot more present than perhaps we, we, um, we notice sometimes just on the, first, on the first understanding of it. Second level issues are those that define us as a church. You know, for two people to gather, we must be in agreement. doesn't mean that we have to agree on, on, first of all, of course, we have to agree on first level issues. But there, there are also secondary level issues that we need to agree on, agree upon if we as a church are going to gather as a visible body. That could be church policy. That could be how we function with elders and deacons. That could be uh, basically I put down um, eschatological questions, church government, very liturgies, the way we function as a church. So there's areas of that uh, direction that a church is taking, uh, policies that are, are – are, beliefs that we're going to enforce, that we're going to put forth there. There are ways that we function as a church. So there is a second level that doesn't talk about believers and unbelievers, but it does talk about us as a church and how we're going to function as, as a body because the body of believers is this gathering that comes together for the purpose of serving the Lord, glorifying the Lord, advancing his kingdom. And so on those bases, we have to have a certain level of understanding. So there are other churches that are going to function differently. They're not uh, heretical. They're not... Uh, they might be in, in some areas, obviously, but 
by and large, this, the second level that he describes, and I, I can see what he's trying to say is that there's an area where we gather as a church. And the third area are, is what he would call disputable matters, matters of conscience. It might involve a particular interpretation of passages, perhaps, but this third level issue should not cause disunity in, in the church family. I go through a, a liturgy of, or a, just a whole list of, of um, conscious issues, and I'll miss the one that impacts one person or another. But what he's referring to and what falls in some of these areas is, you know, what, what is it appropriate to watch or not to watch? Uh, how far, you know, how, what's the dating guidelines when you date someone? What's the, how far is too far in dating? Is it appropriate to kiss before you're married, not kiss? I would hope premarital uh, sex would not be uh, a question that we should question. That's something that should be debatable. Sunday is not the Sabbath. How do we respect uh, church and the first day of the week? Uh, so there's just so many t- things. Tattoos, of course, today is a lot more, I mean, tattoos compared to 10 years ago. Tattoos are a lot more present in society than they were 10 years ago. Now, 10 years ago, when I was taught about tattoos, it were, it was, you know, you, the overall answer was it's, it's um, our bodies belong to the Lord. It's not for us to whatever, whatever. So, I mean, that's kind of, but tattoos are so present today. Are those more conscious issues or, yes, ma'am, Yeah. How could you, in good conscience, attend one of their services? You could. Right. So. But I'm saying that within the Protestant realm, there's still a broad diversity on communion churches, Bible churches, the Baptist churches, evangelical churches. There's a little broad understanding in how we practice church uh, and the emphasis we put on, you know, like tonight we have a church covenant, covenant commitment. So there's different ways that we function and we agree to function on these bases. Okay. Should a church, though, I, I, I read the Constitution, most of it. It's a long one. But anyway, I, <laughs> and we shorten it just for you, so, I mean, you know, really. Yeah, the fast track. But fast track. If, if, if God's Word says, this is the way that we do church, okay, we have elders, we have deacons, it's all there in black and white, right? And, and, and so I said, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this church, and we're not going to have all that. And so, are you not so for, for long, part of the, are you not denying part of, if, if this is, this is the inspired word of God, God breathed, this is God right. saying, write this down guys, because this is the way I want it, right? And you say, okay, yeah God, that's a good, that's a good idea, but I, I'm going to go this route. Every church is similar to every believer, they're in a process of sanctification. <clears throat> so, when we change our constitution... We walked in there and said, okay, how, what do we need to continue growing in? For example, it used to be you can't drink. Well, we decided to take a more biblical, specific approach, and you shouldn't be drunk. So we, And then the, the roles of elders and deacons were not clarified previously because there was a certain generation where the primary church model was pastor, assistant pastor, and deacons who either served as leaders or served the church. We wanted to be more, we thought, consistent with the word and have elders, deacons better defined because we think biblically that's more accurate. Yeah, that's this church, but I'm saying... Every church has that same process, though, of assuming that someone's trying to conform to the word, there's going to be different under, understandings of what the role of the woman should be in ministry, 
and there are some areas where each church has to determine where that where you draw that line. Some people say, well, no women ministry to, uh, in, in a leadership teaching role. Well, not if it's not a mixed role. Well, not if it's done in the authority of a man. So, I mean, there's to, to suggest that just going to the word will clarify everything is uh, the word clarifies what it wants to clarify. So we need to be careful to be clear where the word is clear and understand that the Lord allows then certain diversity within other areas. So it's trying to, the danger is trying to make the word say something that it's not saying for the sake of, of uniformity instead of allowing some of this diversity to take place. Of course, people that are sensitive to that are going to jump up and say, well, we just, you know, that's going to lead to heresy. It's going to lead to, I mean, I understand that. People uh, respond based on their own areas of sensitivities are going to respond to that in one way or the other. With our children, I'd like to say this. With our children, I think we need to make sure they understand these differences. Because what we tend to want to do sometimes with our kids is make everything gospel issues and not help them understand that there are differences. And here's, you know, this is what mom and dad is asking you to do versus this is what the Bible is asking you to do versus here's what we do as a church. We do as a church because this is what we do as a church body. But it's not because we do that as a church body that it's gospel truth. It's because we have agreed upon functioning that way. So we, it's helpful to make a distinction in some of these areas. I do have, for those who might be interested, I do have a little book. I don't know if I should endorse it or not, but David Nasali wrote a good book on conscience, and he wrote, this one he wrote for kids. That little voice in your head. So some adults probably need to read this, you know. <laughs> but it's designed for, I'd say, around six years old, and it's interesting to see how they navigate. Okay, the parent explained to the child the difference between what mom and dad is asking you to do because these are the rules of the family. I want you to not wear shoes in the house because you bring dirt and mud in the house. That's not a gospel issue. Now we tend to, we want to, well, if you don't obey your parents, then you're disobeying God. If you want to, I mean, we try to make everything kind of the same color. I just got to be careful. So she makes this nuance and she helps understand, helps explain to children what it means to have a conscience because you have to nurture, you need to nurture that conscience of your children. And you need for them to understand here's right and wrong. Here's how we submit to the word. Here's what mom and dad is asking you to do. You need to submit to mom and dad, and you do that as obedience to, to, as to the Lord. But this is not a, a gospel issue, and here's and so you help them grow. So one of the, the little girl in this one book said, "Well, does that mean that later on, if I have home, I could do this and that?" Mom said, "Of course, you could do." So it's helpful to kind of navigate some of these. That little voice in your head. So you're welcome to borrow that book if you want to borrow that book. Yep. It seems like what you just said about where the word is clear, you know, it's going to be clear where it's not clear. You know, there's, there's going to be issues that it doesn't clarify. There's going to be issues that it does clarify. I think it all boils down, in my mind, this is what the, the conscience issue boils down to, is that it's, it's all about the authority of the word and where that authority is clearly uh, articulated. We all conform to that, uh, that articulation. Where it's not, like with eating meat, sacrifice to idols, that seems to be where, where if I was a first century individual coming out of heathenism and I wanted to obey what the Ten Commandments says, don't bow down to them, don't serve them, I don't want any association with idolatry, so I'm not going to eat that meat sacrifice idols because it's not just that I don't, I think it's wrong, I think it's a sin to, to conform myself to that heathen system. Whereas Paul is saying, well, they're not really gods at all, so you're, you can partake and it's not an offense against God because you're not doing it to worship those idols, you're just getting some good meat. And so I think the issue here is the 
is it a sin? Go to scripture, um, see if it speaks truth, it, you know, speaks clearly, and then if it if you can't um, find specific backing for whether it's a sin or not, um, follow follow your conscience, continue to instruct your conscience, but then give grace to people who may see it differently. And I think it, another aspect of that is that wherever the it seems like in, in the word that the stronger conscience is that which is more thoroughly instructed by the word and is more accurate in conforming to the word. And the weaker conscience isn't as um, isn't as informed by the word, but is, is a little off. But still, the the person who is um, to be given grace is, is the person who doesn't basically wants to put a, a barrier around the, um, sinning. So like they don't want to eat the meat sacrificed to idols because they don't want to sin. So they kind of put an extra barrier in front of themselves before they go into a sin issue. I think that's accurate um, with the understanding that you might have a strong conscience in one area and a weak in another area, which is why I think that diversity of believers comes into play. In other words, you're absolutely right. Your conscience might be better informed, have better knowledge pertaining to one issue, and so you have a stronger conscience and and, and a better approach if you want to call it better. But then in another area, you're, you're blinded to because you haven't you haven't experienced that, something else is there, whatever's missing. So that's I think that's just where we need to have a, a, a gracious and humble application of that in our own lives uh, because the idol issue is one determined. We said last week that he lays the stage in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians by saying that we all have knowledge. So he sets a groundwork saying, hey, we all have knowledge. He wasn't saying, but yet... In referring to that, the next person has a weak conscience, a weak understanding of one thing, and a stronger of another. So with the understanding, we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up and love edifies. So that's how he lays the groundwork for this. That's, that's what you're saying is absolutely true. I would couch that with remembering that no one has a strong conscience in all areas. We all have areas of, of, of weakness and strengths that need to be complemented with believers. And... As mutual believers who want to submit to the word, we were both going to agree that we can discuss this with the desire to f- fold to the word and come to the word together. And if I have a conscious issue, something that bothers me, and someone says, you know, you guys did this, and I don't feel comfortable with that, and and, uh, and go to the word together and see it together, we can come to the same uh, understanding and grow. I definitely think our consciences need to grow in, in understanding. So, um, yeah, appreciate, appreciate you saying that. Let me, let me skip these two questions here and go to this this one here. How do we calibrate our conscience? Uh, in other words, how do we constantly nurture and calibrate is a good term that conscience. One, is it theologically correct? You should, it's not, the, the desire is not for me to, to just hold my position, my conscious decision. It's not, my, my goal is not, my, no, this is why I feel this is wrong and just kind of dig in. My humble spirit should be, hey, is this theologically correct? Am I aligned with the word? Because if you know, you, you might be surprised at something that you're adamantly, you know, super strong about. You read someone else's position about it, and say, well, that kind of makes sense. And why am I doing this? And then you go through it, and you have a better understanding. And your position might be the same, 
but the edge is taken off and you have more mercy towards others because you can see how they understand things. Yes, Jane? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was listening to a radio station the other day and it's a kind of a chain church that's across the nation, across the board, and who was spouse teaching um, expositorily, but they said that a woman could teach, preach, mixed company, if the elders agreed to it of that particular church. You're going to throw that out there just like that for me to... (laughs) 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 You just lit the fuse. (laughs) You just lit that fuse. But this is this is the thing, though. One, we should have the courage to come together around the Word and agree on the inherency of the Word, the supremacy of the Word, and the sufficiency of the Word. That's what we have to agree on those three areas, and that those three areas are a lot more challenged than what you might think in the evangelical world. But if we don't have that as a foundational truth, everything else just becomes uh, subjective to experience, subjective to feelings, becomes emotional decisions, it becomes experience-based. Missions is constantly pragmatic-based. If there's results, then God must be in it. You hear that all the time. Oh, so, so someone got saved at this big revival, so that must, everything must be good about it. Well, God saved, praise God, but that doesn't mean that what you did or how you came about it is justified. And so we, we mixed this confusion over methodology and everything else. So we have to agree on those, on, on those areas and, and come together. Is this theologically correct? Two, does your conscience need to change? Do I need to add to it? Do I need to subtract to it? Has it become hardened? We should, we should have that real – maybe you're – maybe after 20 years or 30 years in, in ministry – you can be, become hardened by certain things. You become insensitive to certain things. So is there something that needs – is my conscious – has it become hardened in some areas? Does it need to be softened again? Does it need to be sensitive to the areas I'm not sensitive to? We should be able to ask ourselves these questions and be challenged by the word in the process. Has it submitted to, to others' conscious, which means uh, has, has I, have I been having this position because someone else else imposed that on me? Is that why I've got this conscious issue? And so those are things we need to be able to wrestle with around God's word. I put down here, how do we know when to obey and when to change? So I put down just five areas here that kind of help um, understand this. And I could give the reference to I, – I don't give – Nasali has a, has a good book on this. I didn't give him as a reference at the beginning because I mentioned him, but I don't – until I'm completed with him, I don't want to just throw that reference out there until I've, I've gone through it. But he, he has a lot of great things. I'll give that reference later on or send it by email to you as well. One, here's, here's, here's a way I, we can discern – um, if my conscience needs to be calibrated differently. One, how do I respond when I'm confronted with truth? Which means when the Word of God says something opposite, does that bother me? Does that push back because my conscience, well, I can't be right. Uh, we had a discussion about music in church when we had you know, Chad bringing his drums in church. So, you know, so someone made the statement uh, about, about drums. Someone said, I wish the Bible would have been more clear about it. Well, when you say that, you're already undermining the fact that the scripture is not sufficient to address an issue that needs to be addressed. So you could how – how am I confronted when the word is before me and how I respond to it is, is, is important, of course. How do I respond to others who defer? Which means if my conscience issue is causing me to be bitter, 
angry, antagonistic, uh, view someone else with a, a um, discriminatory view. If, if my conscious issue is causing these, I've got a problem with my conscience. My conscience is not designed for me to, to lord over others or to despise others. Three, how does it impact my relationship to the church? So people who say they've got these conscience issues, then they get mad at the church and leave. Well, then you've got a problem with your conscience issue because it's not designed for you to get angry at the church and leave over it. Uh, does it glorify Christ? Or is it just are you just reinforcing what you feel comfortable with, or are we glorifying Christ in this? And has it made me unloving? It's amazing how many conscience issues have made the believer unloving towards other believers. And if, if, if these are warning signs around a conscious issue that you have, if you have a, if you have a conscious issue, let's say, around clothing, and, and you see people posting things that bother you, and you get angry, you get, you get disdain, and you start despising, then it's unhealthy. Then you've got a conscious issue problem, not just because of where they're at, but because of where you're at with the conscious. So these are, these are healthy areas to, to discuss this. So... Six minutes here. I want a big chart. That's all the time I got. All right. So I know we're not going to be able to, to walk through this, but he, he, gives, he gives, the author gives a healthy chart on this. Here's what he does. Going back to 1 Corinthians 8 and then Romans uh, 14 as well. The spectrum of responses between a person who has a strong conscience and a person who has a weak conscience. So – I didn't have Jane check all this, so if I made mistakes, it's all on me, not on Jane's. I have to make sure I keep saying that because she's, she's – I know. She's, the English teacher – the English cha- – the, the English teacher in her – my conscience didn't want her making comments about my writing. So. so, for example, if you go over to an overly strong conscience, you fall into lawlessness and morality. Which means you're you're living in you're you're involved in, in, in premarital premarital sex. You're not bothered by it at all because I mean you know it doesn't matter. We love each other, and as long as we get married, what does it matter? So you know, your conscience is totally turned off, and you're way over here, and you walk into it leads towards a form of lawlessness, immorality. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what you cross into legalism. Mm-hmm. You go on the other end of the spectrum, and now you're you have a super weak conscience, and everything is abided by the rule by the rule of law. So he gives kind of the, the shades of of responses. Uh, and all this about eating meat, of course. And in the middle, he gives kind of this, this middle ground between the person who is flexible and disputable matters in order to edify and, and advance the gospel, which is what you see in the Apostle Paul. When he says, I become all things to all people, you know, he says, I, I want to do what? I want, it's good about Christ and Christ alone. Right. And even in matters of baptism. So I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because I'm about here. I'm about Christ and Christ alone. So Paul in his diversity between Gentiles and the, the, the social issues between Gentile and Jews and the unbelieving world and how you face all this and persecution, he was about one thing, about being uh, edifying Christ, glorifying Christ, and making Christ known. So I find it interesting kind of how he brings it in this chart here. Uh, like, like Paul said, become all things to all people that I might by all means uh, uh, save some. And, and again, you go to one end, some people in, the, in their freedom – their conscience is not pricked or bothered, so they dress in all kinds of ways, and they're like, wow, I mean, how do you go that far? Every one of us has these areas of sensitivity around clothing, right? And we should. I mean, we should. I mean, if you go together, what's the big deal? I mean, we could wear whatever we want. doesn't matter if we're showing skin. doesn't matter if we're in a bikini. doesn't matter if we're showing cleavage. I mean, you go over here, yeah, your conscience is no longer turned on to anything, and we're, we're just, man, taking it in. 
But then you go on the other end, and it's like, well, you can't show your ankles, and you, you can't show, you know, and you, so you have to, in those spectrums, we're not, we're not going to have in all these areas that constitute church life and believers how they interact. We're not, we're not going to all agree if the, if the skirt should go two inches below the knee or two, two inches above the knee. But based on where we're at in these consciences, I would hope that uh, and culturally things are different. I guess I'm going to talk about some of this, but I know Jane dealt with issues with ladies in France because some of the things that they felt with Jane, this is normal. You know, so why don't you show, Jane, you should show more of this, you know, more, you know, this, because, I mean, that's just normal. These are believing ladies, right? This, I mean, these, these are believing ladies. Man, I'm, in, I'm walking on thin ice here, guys, so give me a... <laughs> It's like, wait a minute. Now I know why we call it hard to believe. <laughs> so, in the end, see that the last piece, both, both of these can lead towards heresy. Both can lead to forms of arrogance on one side or the other. If you form towards a super weak conscience, then yes, you fall into judgmentalism and heresy. Other can fall into arrogance. You know, contempt for those who are still bound by these regulations and we're free from this. I mean, uh, you know, the old idea that you know in the past we were obligated to do this and we're free from all that. So you fall into arrogance and eventually heresy as well and other end of the spectrum. So it's, it's kind of helpful to see where these <clears throat> both at some point diminish the gospel. And that's the danger. And that's why whenever we live in, a, in a, uh, the culture and you're serving and ministering to the culture, the last thing you want to do is for your convictions to sh- cast a shadow on the gospel. Also, oh, so uh, we talked to one guy. I don't know where he got this from, but he talked to, oh, Baptists. Oh, yeah, you guys don't drink. Okay, so now I already have these hurdles. I want to attack the gospel, but he's already, I have to address the Baptist question, not drinking, because somewhere that, that create a understanding of what it means. So <clears throat> at some point, either one of those extremes are going to diminish the gospel uh, and then, of course, one distorts to lawlessness, one distorts by legalistic addiction. So I thought that was kind of helpful to see that. So let me give you just a couple of references and, and send you this way. This is – we're going to jump, jump ships here in about one minute. Is, is the mask mandate a gospel issue? It came back way from the beginning and kind of one of the motivations, you know, why has this church not – been torn apart like some churches have over some of these social issues. I'm not saying we haven't had struggles. We have people upset. We've had people leave. We've had all these things. But by and large, the church has is trying to navigate through these waters. My contention is that the mask issue is a is a conscience issue, and because churches are trying to impose a certain conscience on people, people have felt their. You see the reaction you have in, in either in Romans 14 or in 1 Corinthians 8. So I think one reason why we've avoided some of the pitfalls is because we've not made it a you must wear the mask when people's conscience telling them the state should not have the right to tell me how to worship and how I should engage church. So this is this is MacArthur's response. Some of the response, he's got more than this, some of these points, all of them here. This is MacArthur's response to the church as to why they're not going to mandate some of these social distancing issues. He doesn't mention this mask specifically. He addresses the issue of why we're not going to follow the governor's mandate. We willfully submitted for a time, but now, no, they've gone too far. It's not for the government. It's not for the state to decide how we worship. And ultimately, that's the decision we came to. One, there's an individual mandate that every individual person I trust has the freedom 
to follow to the best of their conscience, meaning I should wear a mask and not wear one, but you should be able to do that freely. I would hope here, without having the strong conscious people mock or having the weak conscious people uh, be legalistic about it, but in their own conscience respond to that. So he responds to this and, and describing the, the scriptural mandate. Uh, one thing I find helpful, number four, God has established three institutions within human society, the family, the state, and the church. They don't have a right and power over each other is what he's going to describe in some of his points. Government is specifically tasked with the oversight and protection of civic peace and well-being. God has not granted civic rules authority over the doctrine, practice, or polity of a church. So that's where, you know, God has not given, yes, we're to submit to authorities and obey our authorities, but he has not given them authority over the church. He did not relinquish that authority. When you give the state the right to say, here's how you can practice. You can sing or you cannot sing. You can gather or you cannot gather. And you can't gather as a church because you can only gather as a small, minute reflection of that church or portion of that church. Any government officials regulating worship steps outside the limited bounds of its God-ordained authority. A couple other points, and then I'm going to... Um, it's never been the prerogative of civil government to order, modify, forbid, or mandate worship he reminds, you know, when the Bible says, you know, render to Caesar things that are Caesar's and to God things that are God, the church does not belong to Caesar. It's not under his authority. So you can't give Caesar the authority over the things that belong to the Lord, and that's where his contention is with some of these, uh, some of these questions. And, of course, these are some of these questions you won't debate. He says, when, they, when, the, when the officials restrict church attendance in principle, it makes it impossible the saints to gather as a church. So he goes, he goes through some of these you know, basically, when, when their restrictions make it impossible for the church to gather as they are, are designed to do. So last, last thing I want to do, I think I want one more. If you want to read this, the question, here, here's how the debate is framed a little bit. Gospel Coalition came out with a statement about masks, saying masks is not a conscious issue and churches su- should submit to the mask mandate and every other social mandate from government. So Gospel Coalition was a reference in the evangelical circles to a certain degree for a time. Look at a couple of statements, and you'll see some of the statements that they make that now that we've talked about conscience is an issue. One, masks are not fundamentally a moral issue. I like what he says. Generally speaking, wearing a mask is not a moral issue. A person is not sinning if they wear a mask. But the whole point of conscience issue is not a, it's not a sin issue. So they misframe the issue to begin with. And he says, if someone maintains based on conscience that they don't, won't wear a mask to come to church, if they wear a mask to buy groceries, they would be inconsistent. Well, no. We're talking about the authority of state over church, not over grocery stores. So they frame the debate in a way that's totally confusing. Here's where Eric Raymond from the Gospel Coalition lays out his case. Brandon Adams does a great job refuting these points. So if you ever want to, you know, on your downtime this afternoon, you're taking a nap, you want to read uh, extra articles, you know. When the U.S. goes up about five goals. Right, when the U.S. is so far ahead and uh, Kevin's like grieving over it, you want to be thinking elsewhere, that's what you go to. So I know that in, in some ways we, we kind of dove in, we kind of hit these, some of these pieces. I, I, I trust and pray that it gives us some sort of a framework to, 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 for you to think through these things and uh, process some of these uh, different conscious issues. So we're out of time. We're going to close in, in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the, the beauty of the church. I thank you for the word, Lord, because we're not just left there with our own reasoning and everyone coming together with their own experiences. We come together with all all these experiences, yet we, we submit them to you. We submit them to the Word, and we want Lord to 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 
bend our, our wills and bend our consciences and mold them to the Word of God. So, Lord, help us to, to see the Word as, as entirely sufficient, entirely uh, sovereign, entirely inherent and perfect, complete. And, Lord, and that be uh, in and of itself sufficient for us, Lord. So I pray as a church that we might have love that edifies one another, that, the Lord, ultimately we want the gospel and the kingdom to grow so that these conscious issues might not become something that is a detriment to that. Lord, thank you for this time together. Bless Pastor as he brings the second service, Lord, to us in just a few moments. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.